Shall we pray? Our Father, we would ask that as we open your word and meditate upon the truths of it, that you would apply them to our hearts. Give us grace for this life that you've called us to, that we might adorn the gospel. We would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. would invite you to open God's word to Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. And also the Westminster Confession, chapter 17. It's printed in the outline in your order of worship. It's also in the back of the hymnal, chapter 17, on the perseverance of the saints. The whole sermon is full of, of scriptures, but we'll often come back to Philippians 2, 12, and 13, which summarize perseverance of the saints. God's word says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Last time we took sections one and two of chapter 17. Let's look again at paragraph section one. Those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere in it to the end and be eternally saved. Once God has begun a work, he will complete it in the heart of a believer. Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God begins, God will finish, and Paul says, I am certain of it. And so even though the Christian's life is uneven and attacked, as the confession says, he can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace. Those are key words. Confession assumes that there can be and there will be partial falls and temporary falls in the heart of a true believer, but not total and not final. A true believer will persevere to the end and be saved. The certainty of the perseverance of the saints. And then section two addresses the grounding of the perseverance of the saints. It's expanding, it's explaining the work of God Section 2, the perseverance of the saints does not depend on their own free will, but on the unchangeableness of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, on the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, on the continuing presence of the Spirit and the seed of God within them, and on the nature of the covenant of grace. These are grounds of the certainty and the infallibility of their perseverance. We need to stress that sanctification, first of all, is primarily the work of God in the heart of the believer. Otherwise, you're going to see that the work of God stops at adoption, justification and adoption, period. That's God's part. Now it's up to you. Get to work, strive, discipline, set goals, and you make it to the end. That's not perseverance of the saints. It's sanctification is primarily and all the way through, it will be the work of God. And the second section here is expanding how each person of the Trinity is involved in your perseverance. The ground of our perseverance is the work of God the Father. It's his election of the Father on the unchangeableness of the decree of election 
There's a certain number to be saved, and God the Father, before time, he's given these to his Son as his inheritance, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. You came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because you were chosen by God the Father, his election before time. And his election includes the whole life of the believer, all of our sin, the ups and downs, the restorations, the repentance. He will complete the work that he has begun in you. It's all part of his plan and his election for your life. And it's from the love of the Father, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, It's unmerited, it's immutable, unchangeable. He will not change his mind. No matter how much we let him down or how much we fail to persevere on our own, he has given us a love that will not let us go. If it were up to us, we would let go. But he will not let go, R.C. Sproul. Perseverance is the work of God the Father. The perseverance is also the work of God the Son. His past work on the cross has purchased our redemption, cleanses us from all sin, and he's transferred the righteousness of Christ to us by faith alone. And so believers are now and always will be in the state of no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. And because of Christ's continual work of praying on the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the believer will make it to the end. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely or forever to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And the ground of our perseverance is also the work of the Holy Spirit. We work out our salvation, press on, for, because God, the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is giving you both the willing and the doing, the desire, the ability to work out your salvation. And this triune God has entered into covenant, the new covenant where he guarantees this work. Hebrews 8.10, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will put my law in their hearts. He says it three times. God is committed to our total obedience in all areas of life. And therefore, the scripture can speak of the perseverance of the believer as an absolute fact. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who called you, and he will bring it to pass. John Blanchard said, God has never torn up a Christian's birth certificate. It is possible to fall in grace, but not to fall from grace. The Christian can be as certain of arriving in heaven as he is that Christ has already ascended there. First two sections are stating that a believer will persevere in faith because of the great promises and the work of our triune God. Now, section three tonight, our looking at tonight is addressing the experience of the perseverance of the saints. This is the work of the believer. 
And now look at section 3. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the pervasiveness of the corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means by which they are to be preserved, fall into grievous sins and for a time continue in them. In so doing, they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit. Some measure of God's graces and comforts is taken from them. They have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded. They harm others and give them occasion to sin and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. It's the warning to persevere, not because of failure on God's part. The weakness is in us. And this section is looking at the reality of our stumbling and how it happens. Consider with me that the confession here is telling us clearly that a believer can be prey to any sin. And so secondly, the believer must always be fighting sin. And thirdly, therefore, the believer must always be using the means of grace that God has given you to fight the fight. The first reality is the scriptures teach that the believer can be prey to any sin and therefore must be on guard. We are as weak as water. We can fall into grievous sins and for a time continue in them, language of the confession. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but he does fall. Proverbs twenty four sixteen. Even in true believers, quote, there is enough remnant of sin that we are still vulnerable to temptation. Left to our weak wills, we would not persevere, R.C. Sproul. And J.C. Ryle, the best and highest saint, is a poor, weak creature, even at his best times. Whether he knows it or not, he carries within him an almost boundless capacity of wickedness, however fair and decent his outward conduct may seem. There is no enormity of sin into which he may not run if he does not watch and pray and if the grace of God does not hold him up. Let us never presume, let us never indulge in high thoughts about our own strength. The believer can fall into sin, and the believer can fall into any sin. You can't say that now I'm a Christian, I won't be tempted that way even grievous sins for a time. Read the Old Testament, the wanderings, generations falling into sin again and again, or the lives of believers, or Peter. If he can fall into sin, we must all be diligent and watch and pray. Robert Murray McShane said, I have found the seeds of every sin in my heart. Any believer at any time, at any age, can fall into any sin. We should never think that we are beyond the reach of any particular sin or that we can withstand temptation by our own virtue. Reichen. God's word tells us, 2 Corinthians 12, 10, when I am weak, then I am strong, and the opposite's true. When I think I'm strong, then I'm weak. That was Peter's fault. We must continually watch, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Do we really believe that in the core of our being? Believers are weak to sin. That's the reality. And believers are attacked to sin. And the confession lists the reasons. It lists four. The devil, the world, the flesh, 
and the neglect of grace. The devil, 1 Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The other reason is the world, James 4, 4, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Third, our sinful nature, Romans 6, 11, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires. Confession is summarizing scripture that the believer could be prey to any sin. And therefore, it follows, we as believers must always be fighting sin. It's a, the call to endurance is, is lifelong. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not to be saved. Set faith is only in Jesus Christ and his work alone for salvation. But with fear and trembling, get to work. Fight the good fight. Finish it to the end. Dr. Silva, commenting on Philippians 2, said, It's impossible to tone down the force with which Paul here points to our conscious activity and sanctification. The thought should give us pause. Our salvation, which we confess to be God's from beginning to end, is here described as something that we must bring about. Perseverance doesn't mean that we float to heaven on flowery beds of ease, as the hymn says. It doesn't mean sinlessness in this life. It doesn't reach, mean that we can reach a point where we can just be on a plateau and coast. Perseverance in this life, is our whole life is going to be like hacking your way through a dense forest. It's like going to, to war. You know that the war, the victory is certain, but you've got blood all over you. Confession here is very realistic. Every stage of our lives, there will be new temptations, old temptations will come back. Do not grow weary. This is a lifelong battle. J.I. Packer said the best thing you can do to a a new convert is help him to to realize this. Rub his nose in it, I remember J.I. Packer saying. Perseverance of the saints is a duty as well as a grace. The grace of it should be preached for the encouragement of the diligent, but the duty, the absolute necessity of it to salvation should be preached to quicken the slothful and to increase the sense of obligation felt by all. The call to endurance is lifelong. The consequence of not enduring is severe. The confession lists five. They incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit. He grieves because he loves us. And some measure of God's graces and comforts is taken from them. Ferguson said, we can be sent to our rooms without our supper. The language of Psalm 51, the weight of guilt of sin, the joy is gone. Third consequence is they have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded. The longer we live in sin without repenting, the more our hearts get hardened, our conscience gets calloused. That affects our relationship with God. Fourth, they harm others and give themselves occasion to sin. Some consequences from sin cannot be undone, even though later the person is brought to repentance There may be a broken marriage. There may be disease from sexual immorality. There may be bankruptcy from gambling. They harm others, harm themselves. Remember how the sins of the church in Corinth were scandalous. It brought shame to the name of Christ. They were mocking the gospel. 
Charles Spurgeon said it's a glorious truth that God will keep his people, but it's an abominable falsehood that sin will do them no harm. Pray for repentance and forgiveness while sins are still thoughts before they move on to words and actions that have a greater impact and harm to others, consequences that may not be undone. That's our prayer for those that wander from Christ. Lord, restore them before the scars and the consequences go deep. Tim Chalice writes, Sin promises joy, but it brings pain. Sin promises happiness, but it brings shame. Sin promises life, but brings death. Sin promises freedom, but brings guilt. Sin promises heaven, but brings hell. It is always, always a lie. And the fifth consequence, they bring temporal judgments upon themselves. 1 Corinthians 11.32, we will be disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned with the world. The Father's goal is to bring us to repentance, and he will bring whatever's needed into our lives to restore that relationship to him if we are his. It's odd, isn't it, that the Westminster Confession, third section here, closes this chapter on a, on a downer. And so many of the other chapters are, are finished with positive and strong. But it seems like it's being very pastoral. In this life, there is no perfect church. and None of us have it made yet in the Christian life. It's, it's just reality. It's closing here, this chapter on perseverance, calling us, get real. This is the way it's going to be until you reach glory. And the, so the Puritans had the Christian life summarized well. It's, as Bunyan wrote his book, it's progress for a pilgrim. It's a holy war for the soldier of Jesus Christ. We've often spoken of how the graph of the Christian life looks like the stock market. And there are times when it's a bear market and it's down. And down for a long time. But you look at the whole graph and it's gone up. So too with the Christian life. Years Years ago, a wise, older Christian man told me that one of the hardest things in the Christian life is to keep balanced. And I found his counsel was true. And that's true with this whole doctrine of perseverance. You can become unbalanced on both sides. You can become unbalanced, overemphasize that perseverance is all up to God. Or you can become unbalanced and overemphasize that perseverance is all up to my efforts and discipline yourself for godliness. If you overemphasize, it's the guarantee of God to cause believers to persevere. That's sections one and two of the confession. Then the sinful tendency is to turn God's grace into license. License makes people think that God does not care what they do. The scripture says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Romans 6.1. By no means, God forbid. See, license is grace that's gone to seed. They're using God's unmerited love as an excuse to be selfish and indulge and do what they want. How is that working out your salvation with fear and trembling? 
Biblical grace always bears fruit. Grace does not make obedience optional. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. 1 John 3, 3 and 9, 10, 4, 4. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. No one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. That's how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Hebrews 12, 14, follow holiness. Follow means to pursue, it means to hunt, it means to run after. Follow, pursue holiness without which no man will see the Lord. Three negatives. No, never, no man will see the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, God's foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. If you overemphasize that it's God's all up to God that we persevere, you will probably fall into license. But if you, you can be unbalanced the other way, if you overemphasize the responsibility of the believer to strive, then the tendency is to turn the Christian's obedience into legalism. Legalism makes people think that God accepts them on the basis of what they do. It can be formalized, new perspective on Paul or fundamentalism, or maybe it's just in your heart that you're beginning to think that your relationship with God is in jeopardy because you've had a bad week, or God is happier with you because you've had a good week. Your obedience is not the basis of your relationship with God the Father. It's in Jesus Christ. Your obedience is not the basis of your salvation. It's not the basis of your sanctification. What only counts is faith in Jesus Christ and his accomplished work. And you receive him and you stand in his righteousness alone for your acceptance. God doesn't love you more because you obey him. But you also cannot know his blessing without obedience. It's very difficult to keep this balance in your own heart without turning it into legalism or turning it into license. Brian Chappell, in his book, Holiness by Grace, recommend the book, strikes the balance. He writes, quote, as the assurance of God's love allows us to cease striving to please him for our own benefit, our good works will begin reflecting more of the selfless righteousness that is truly holy as our obedience becomes a gratitude response to God's grace rather than as an attempt to bribe God for blessings. Holiness more and more characterizes our actions. Confession is summarizing here that true believer can be prey to any sin. So secondly, therefore, you must always be fighting sin. And third, therefore, you must always be using the means of grace that God's given you to fight for sin, against sin. The confession refers to it there, the neglect of the means of grace. What are the means of grace? The scriptures, Psalm 119.9, how does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So each Lord's day to be under the preaching of the word and the sacraments, 
It includes all the other times of being in the Word, too, your own daily reading and family worship and small groups and reading good books that will challenge you to, to deep, dig deeper into God's Word. When we really get it, that my sinful nature, its purpose is to deceive me. God has given an answer. He's given his word. It's like a mirror, James says. You hold it up, it's going to show you reality of where sin has deceived you. You must have God's word. It's a means of grace. J.I. Packer said again, self-confidence and self-satisfaction argue self-ignorance. Scriptures are the means of grace. Prayer is the means of grace. Christ warned Peter of Satan's attack to told him to repeatedly to pray. But Peter slept and he was not prepared. Piper writes, the fact that Satan and his forces have such power in the world should give a seriousness to our lives which unbelievers don't have. It ought to make us sober and diligent in our prayers and more conscious of needing God's power. When the enemy is supernatural, <clears throat> so must the weapons be. And to those two means of grace, I would add the fellowship of believers. We are called to exhort one another to love and good works. As Piper put it, eternal security is a community project. Not just prayer, not just worship, not just the sacraments, not just Bible reading, but daily exhortation from other believers is God's appointed means to enable you to hold your first confidence firm to the end. Do you really believe that? Or do you feel, well, I've got it handled. It doesn't really apply to me. I'm a lone ranger. I can do it on my own. We're told our sinful nature is deceitful. Jeremiah 17.9. You can't even trust your own heart. You can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your perceptions. You can't trust your desires. You must everything by scripture. But also you must have somebody else outside of you that you've allowed permission, given permission. Ask them to speak the truth to you. Where am I blind? Be humble. Ask people to watch out for you. To hold yourself accountable to them and ask for their help. Bonhoeffer writes, confessing our sins to one another breaks the cycle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of the person. God has given us means. This is how you're going to have strength to fight the battle. And the benefit that comes to the believer... You notice how the confession puts it in the negative. One falls into sin by the neglect of the means by which they are preserved. Let's put that in the positive. By the faithful use of the means, you will be preserved. That's how you're going to press on to the end. By the faithful use of the means of grace. Thomas Watson writes, Christians do not arrive at perseverance when they sit still and do nothing. It's not with us as with passengers in a ship who are carried to the end of their voyage while they sit in the ship. We arrive at salvation with the use of means as a man comes to the end of a race by running. 
to a victory by fighting. If you neglect the means of grace, you put aside the scriptures, you're not under the preaching of the word, you're not pursuing the Lord in prayer each day, not having accountability and confessing your sins to one another. You're going to become more weak and exposed to the impacts of the world and the flesh and the devil. And the love of Christ will grow cold. And you'll, you'll wake up one day and you how did I get here? But stated in the positive, it's the diligent use of the means of grace by which we make use of and expose ourselves to the assistance of God's grace in our personal growth, R.C. Sproul. Hebrews 12 One, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In 1981, Bill Broadhurst entered the Pepsi's Challenge 10,000-meter race in Omaha, Nebraska. Ten years before the race, he had had a surgery for a brain aneurysm and had left him paralyzed on his left side. 1,200 runners began the race that day, and they all passed him. And they all finished in some 30 minutes. But Bill labored with his stiff leg, plodding in pain, forcing one foot ahead of the other for two hours and 29 minutes until he finally reached the finish line. And as he reached the finish line, out of the crowd came Bill Rogers, the famous marathon runner who had run the, won the race. And Roger drapes his first-placed medal around Bill Broadhurst's neck. Broadhurst's finish was last, but it was as glorious as that of the world's greatest because he ran with endurance. The Christian's life is not a sprint. Each one of us have to run this race by putting one foot ahead of the other each day, year after year, looking to God for grace. And as we... Remember the doctrine of perseverance. It's not up to us. God's work didn't stop at adoption. And now it's up to us to discipline ourselves for godliness in our own strength. Perseverance is not like the the infant monkey that's hanging on to its mother for dear life in case he falls. Perseverance is more like the, the mother cat who's holding the kitten in her mouth and carrying it. Our perseverance is certain. We will succeed. We will finish because it's God that is at work in you, both for the willing and the doing of his good pleasure. So whatever your sin, whatever your struggles, whatever your shame, you repent truly before the Lord and you cast your sin upon him for full forgiveness Cleansing and be reconciled to God, be reconciled to those you've sinned against, and then you endeavor after new obedience. If you feel broken, if you feel ashamed, if you feel so weak, the gospel's for you. You believe in Jesus Christ and his blood has cleansed you from all sin, and then each day abide in him because without him you can do nothing. 
and you rest in his promise. Philippians 1.6, I am confident, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of it. Shall we pray? Father, we ask that if there's any tonight with weariness and discouragement that you would strengthen us up again for the good fight, not looking to our poor, meager resources, but looking to the work of the triune God and resting in his promises, using again the means of grace. If there are any that are getting negligent, beginning to go through the motions and not really seriously engaged in this warfare that you would awaken us to the danger. If there are any in need of cleansing and forgiveness, we pray, our Father, that we will all be before you, knowing the full forgiveness of Christ. And may we know the strength this week to come as we live another pilgrimage. May we know the Holy Spirit's work within us giving us both the willing and doing of your good pleasure. We ask all these things that our lives might adorn the gospel. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.